0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T,
1: and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. I'm John Sherman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Young. All right, so this is, what is this, episode eight for us, I think?
0: I've lost count now.
1: Yeah, I think we're up to eight. We're rolling along here, and we're both kind of suggesting episodes week to week. So this week is Adam's episode, or at least your idea. I have some pretty strong opinions of my own on this topic. But why don't you introduce what we're talking about today?
0: So it's about simplicity versus complexity.
1: And what does that mean? Are we talking golf swing? Are we talking practice? More with the golf swing and instruction, I tweeted something
0: recently. What did I tweet? I said, I'm not anti-technical or non-technical because lots of people do think I'm non-technical. I'm not. I said, but if I can achieve three or more swing changes with one simple thought or feel, I'll usually opt for that. And I try to train my players to u- utilize simple thoughts and feels as well to achieve desired results. So yeah, it's about simple thoughts and feels versus maybe how... How most golfers perceive improvement to be.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when I first started my site six, seven years ago, I think this was kind of like a big raging debate. And maybe it's still going on in the instructional community. There was always like, how do you communicate to golfers? Can they handle the advanced technical information that analysis from Trackman and all these other tools have given instructors? Or do you keep it simple? And there was always this like argument, and of course, there's always two camps as as with everything else now, where you know, some people would say, like, yeah, I do want to explore really deep concepts with my players. I want them to understand everything. Whereas other people are like, you know what? I'm looking behind the scenes at their numbers, all of that complex info, and like you said, trying to give them a simple solution. I mean, I'm biased. I'd prefer simplicity as well. And it sounds like you do too.
0: No, I I am a fan of complexity for myself because I love breaking something down. I love understanding it in detail. Like I'm always looking at the latest research on forces and torques and biomechanics, but when it comes to teaching golf and when it comes to playing and i had to learn to do this as a player i play on very simple thoughts and feels which is actually the same philosophy that you have right it's take the fault do the opposite that's pretty much my philosophy on how i play golf again i'm still deep in the understanding of of things
1: that was always my contention like when i first started diving deeper into the instructional world and seeing all this stuff i felt what was happening you know, when all the launch monitor data and the ball flight rules kind of started changing on people, maybe this was five, 10 years ago. I think there was this big influx of data and information that was like going out. And to your point, I think it's a instructor's role to digest all that information. They should push themselves and learn more. But what I saw happening was there were a lot of golfers going to lessons and all this information was being fed to them. And there was no filter in place. So, you know, I think coaching and instruction is all about communication. Like if you talk about the great coaches of all time in any sport, whether it's John Wooden, a Coach K, or any, you know, pick any great coach, usually the players say the same thing, amazing communicator. And I think that's the difference with the advanced info is that you're taking the time to understand it so well that when you see a golfer and you're seeing what's going on, you can kind of process all of that and analyze it on the fly and then give them an explanation that makes sense to the golfer.
0: What did Einstein say? What was his quote about explaining it to a four year old?
1: If you don't understand something well enough to, to explain it to a four year old, then you really don't understand it that well. I'm probably paraphrasing. Hopefully, I'm getting I think it that's close. pretty accurate actually. But yeah, I think that's you know when you are trying to help golfers and get them better, whether it's the swing or any other topic. And I've tried to educate myself on a number of topics is that you do, you have to understand it well enough that you can explain it simply. And I think that's like kind of the tug of war that was happening or probably still happening is that, you know, what do you give to the player? Are people different? Can some players handle more information? Whereas maybe a beginner intermediate player, you don't share as much. That's what you're going to discuss in this episode with how you communicate to your players, in lessons or on your online work, but that's kind of where I stand on is that you know it's nice to understand all these torques and forces and physics stuff, but if you can't be the filter, then you've got a problem because you can't play golf thinking with that stuff. I just know that a hundred percent like we talk about simple thoughts on the golf course, like you cannot go out on the golf course worrying about concepts like spin loft and all you know your, your all these different things like you you've got to be reacting. I always think as a golfer, you're reacting to the moment and just executing.
0: Well, on those topics of filtering everything and technology and spin loft, things like that, I think that you know the rise of launch monitors has actually helped to simplify a lot of things in terms of you know, if you look at how most golfers improved years ago, it would be to pick a swing model, say Tiger Woods at the time or whoever was in vogue at the time and then try to play a game of let's copy them. And there are certain times where that can be a a valuable tool. That's another episode. (laughs) But there are some real disadvantages to that as well, because you go down a route of copying things that are unnecessary or things that you can't do. And that can actually lead to more complexity when you're looking at a video and trying to change 20 things to make your swing look like someone else. And off the back end of that, there's not even any guarantee that it'll make you successful. I could make a swing that looks like uh, very similar to Rory McIlroy or, or Tiger Woods and miss the ball completely. I mean, there's that video on YouTube of McIlroy missing it. And all his swing mechanics look exactly the same. It's just a little off. Launch monitors have brought rise to the awareness of what actually creates a good result, which is impact. And it's I think that can help simplify for a lot of people. But I remember the first time I looked at the screen on TrackMan and I just saw, what is it, like 30 different numbers? You had swing direction, swing plane, horizontal swing plane, vertical swing plane, angle of attack, low point, spin loft.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, remember the Matrix where they were like looking at the screen and they would see all like the green stuff going up and down and then some people would actually see like what they're supposed to see. Like I felt what I was referring to is kind of like when TrackMan first came out is like, like you said, there's this influx of information. And, you know, as an instructor, you need to be able to read that screen and digest all of those 30 different variables and be like, oh, okay, that's the problem. And that's hard to do. Like, I I don't envy swing instructors. I think they have a really tough job because, you know, the golf swing is a ton of different variables that change from player to player and they all have to match up to create you know, functional results for them. And it's one thing to be able to diagnose what's wrong with the golf swing. Like I can look at a golfer and kind of figure out what I think is preventing them from reaching that functional territory. I just wouldn't know how to communicate the fix to them because I think that's like what takes years and years of work and studying and being on the lesson tee for so long.
0: Well, let's go through a specific example lesson. So I I posted this on Twitter as well. I had a guy that was fatting it. So he's, he's hitting the ground early. And I've got Trackman running in the background. I can see his angle of attack is very shallow. In fact, he's hitting two or three degrees on the upswing with an iron off the ground, which you know is just, it, you're going to be fatting it all day with that. His swing path was to the left and his face was to the left. So he's hitting a baby fade or lots of just straight pulls left. And he had a very high loft with high spin loft. So he's hitting these high weak shots that are really spinning and got no energy, no compression. And he was hitting a toe contact amongst other things. So I'm looking at this and on the back end, I'm looking at all this data and lots of people. That's the complexity side of it, right? That's all the the tough stuff. My brain goes, well, what can I do? What's the simplest way of tweaking the most things or changing the most of those variables? I knew that if I could just move his low point forwards, all of a sudden his fat shot would become better. When you move the low point forwards, the angle of attack becomes steeper, which is beneficial to him. Also, the path shifts more to the right, the swing path. That's a complicated one. You have to know a little about D-plane with that. But as you shift the low point forwards, the path moves more to the right. And it tends to open the face to the path as well. So that would make his, his end result a little bit more right. And shifting the low point further forwards tends to produce more compression and a lower lower shot. And in most cases, this is, this is one of those that's less predictable. But when you shift the low point forwards, I would say about 60, 70, maybe 80% of people tend to hit more towards the, the heel. So that's what I did with him. I shifted the low point forwards and and it basically lit up the track man, all the the numbers lit up in terms of they got, got within ideal ranges. So that's the complexity. That's my thought process, taking all that information, boiling it down into what do I need to do, shift his low point forwards. What I asked him, I said, hey, bud, can you just try and brush the grass a little bit further forward for me? So I actually sprayed a little bit of Dr. Shaw's foot spray a couple of inches in front of the ball. And I said, can you just wipe that away for me? Get that to kind of disappear. And that's all I did. I asked him that simple thing, just get that spot to disappear. And that changed all of those things in his swing. Now, the interesting thing, although he added 15 yards of distance, he improved the consistency of distance as well. And he hit it straighter. And he had a tighter dispersion left to right, So we improved all of these things. He didn't like the lesson because he said it was too simple. In fact, (laughs) he sent an email next day saying, hi, Adam, I really appreciate the lesson, blah, blah, blah. uh, But I think I'm going to go a different approach because your simple approach doesn't resonate with me. And I'm like, "I, I, I have no problem with that. But he asked me for a more complex approach. He was asking me about left wrist angles, lead arm planes and movement, hip movements, rotations, weight shifts, pressure shifts. He wanted to know that information. And I, I'll be honest, I refused to give it to him because I said, well, look, I've asked you to do this one simple task. It's achieved everything we need to. And then you want, you want to go down a road that I know the complex road is going to detract. It's going to make you worse here. So I said, you can certainly go and find another instructor who will do that for you. But if you come to me for a lesson, I'm going to give you what I feel is right. And I've got the evidence here to back it up. So it was just an interesting one. That that one doesn't happen all the time where you improve someone that much and they say, I didn't like the lesson. I mean, it's quite rare, but it happens more than you would think because I'll let you take this one. Why do golfers think like that?
1: I was just Biting my tongue not to talk over you because <laughs> I have such a strong feeling about this, and it's it's probably the main reason I started practical golf, and that we're working together is that. And I don't mean to malign the golf industry. You know, people are trying to make a living, and of course, we have information now that we didn't have decades ago, and that happens in every you know walk of life. We just know things now that we didn't know. But what always bothered me about the golf world, whether it was magazines, books. The stuff you hear on TV from announcers is that it made the game complex in the sense that it was this like convoluted puzzle that needed to be decoded by people in the industry for golfers. So what do you get? You know, you get the magazine articles with all the different swing tips and you talk about emulating pro golfer swing. You're like, oh, well, check out this move of the Envo golfer who's number one in the world or who's hitting it farther. And every week, you know, someone's getting a new magazine. They're like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. And we're conditioned to be obsessed with the mechanics of the golf swing. And that's why I... Wanted to discuss things outside of the golf swing because I was like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> there's so much more to this game, not to say that the swing isn't important, but there's just so much more that can be simply explained that people aren't doing. And to answer, that's a roundabout question to answer why this guy said what he did, but just, he was essentially trained to think that way by the industry. Whereas you know, I'm sure there is an element of people making it complicated to make golfers more beholden to them and to keep them as clients for longer. Perhaps that's maybe a little too negative of me to think that, but there's definitely some of that going on in the industry. But we all have been conditioned to look for complex answers and wanting to know about everything. Whereas like, yeah, sometimes it is as simple as saying like, hey, swing it in that direction and let's see what happens.
0: Well, I think it's a, it probably takes someone who understands the complexity to boil it down into that simplicity, because that wouldn't work for everybody, right? If I just asked that person, i just brush the ground here. That might not work for everybody. I was able to take that player's faults and think of one simple way. And that's, that's basically what I pride myself on doing is, is taking maybe five different faults and giving that person maybe one thought that Resolves all of those issues so that it's not cognitive overload. I know someone tweeted me. Well, he, he said, "Well, define simple for me," and I, I would define it as well. It's it's lower cognitive load or less thinking in a way. So brushing the grass is simple, for example, but turning shoulders eighty five degrees, stay in tilts, get left arm high, and lead wrist flexed is much more complex, and that's a, that's what that player was doing before. To your point, you're right. The magazines, the books, commentators on TV, I think it's all been a part of ingraining us in the idea that complex is the only way. People think that simple can't be correct, and that's just not correct.
1: <laughs> you trained as a, as a swing professional before TrackMan came out. Give people like a little understanding, like hypothetically, if you had that golfer when you were first starting your career, did you start with the Ledbetter Academy? Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you learned from David Ledbetter, who or at least, you know, someone who'd been trained in his philosophies. What would like the old Adam Young before Trackman, before all these modern things, how would you approach that lesson with that guy prior to that based on how you were taught how to be a swing instructor?
0: That brings me to the story of when I first started coaching. I started coaching before Ledbetter. I started at what's called the Cranfield Golf Academy in Europe, in Britain. His philosophies were very, very holistic. So dealt a lot with the brain, how to coach. I don't want to go through too much of a story there. But I remember my first few weeks of coaching, I would sit and watch the other instructors. They basically mentor me. And my goal was I would go into a lesson. I would look at that player warming up and I would write down in my little notebook what I would do with them. And then I would compare it to what the pro did with them. And now when I first started coaching, I was really, really technically minded because I had learned golf through reading Ledbetter books, reading Faldo books, breaking down the swing. Even as an amateur, I was drawing lines on the TV screen looking at Tiger Woods' swing. So I was really mechanically minded. And so I remember the first lesson I watched, I sat down and I watched this player with a huge over-the-top movement, right? They were hitting pulls, slices, shanks. And I wrote down, okay, I, I would get his lead arm flatter, I'd get him to drop his hands behind him. I would change his, his body pivot. And I was probably going to do that all at once as well with that player.
1: Yeah, you are just like ready to <laughs> explode on him yeah. with a ton of like <laughs> a laundry list of things he had to do.
0: Exactly. Now, the instructor I was watching was a very highly experienced instructor. His name's Stephen Orr, one of the best instructors I've seen. If you are in Britain, go and see him. He's one of the more, more holistic coaches. What he did is he got a ball with a nail through it, put it on the ground. He took out of his, his bag of tricks a golf club with a hammer attached to the end of it. So, he'd taken off the iron head and put a, a hammer on it, a sledgehammer. And he said, make a swing and just show me how you would hammer this nail through that ball. And instantly that lead arm flattened, the pivot changed, the over-the-top move completely disappeared instantly. Now, he didn't tell him anything about the body movement he just gave him that one simple thought, hammer the nail in this direction, which I know everybody says, oh, Adam always talks about hammering the nail. And I do, because it's a nice analogy of, of taking all that complexity and turn it into simplicity. I have many other things other than the, the nail drill that are similar to that. But the nail drill really is, is visually, you could see it in a podcast, basically. And I remember resisting that. I looked at that and I said, that can't be right. You can't do it that simply. That was my first experience of looking at that. No, you've got to t- change the pivot. You've got to change it directly. But after about 100 lessons of watching this pro just instantly change these players and achieving great results, and after you know maybe a hundred lessons of me making my own mistakes as a young coach, trying to go the complex route, the route that I thought was correct. And seeing the disaster that it uh, it was. And by the way, it was it was correct information where I was giving to people. But I saw how it didn't have the same results as this other coach was having with his simplicity approach. It's hard not to then go, you know what? I'm gonna take a little dabble into this simplicity approach. And I did, and I saw it worked. And I did what I thought to improve that process and maybe not make it simpler, but in some ways make it simpler. In some ways, just make a whole lesson out of it and trying to explain to people how to do this themselves. And that's the biggest challenge I have as an instructor is I see all these golfers. Who are talking about all these complex things. Like they're all, they're all giving each other advice. Oh, you've got to do this with your pivot. You've got to turn your shoulders 90 degrees and get your left arm at exactly 35 degrees. There's all this complex information. I look at that and I go, I know where they've been. I know that mentality. And I also know I can help them with a simple approach. But the problem or the difficulty, the challenge that I've had is how do I bridge that gap? Cause it took me years to do that.
1: Yeah, it's it's very hard to take all of those endless variables of the golf swing and break them down into something so simple that will work. On top of that,
0: there's that part as well. Yeah, but it it took me years in my own mentality to go from that very complex thinking golfer, that very analytical golfer, to someone who now plays on our golden rule, right? Take the fault and do the opposite. I didn't transport there overnight. I didn't teleport to that, that. It wasn't a light bulb that went off. It was a series of events. And so most of my blogs, most of my writings, and most of these podcasts are basically my attempt to take those analytical golfers who are really seeking deeper information and kind of just lead them through a journey, the journey that I went through, and hopefully get them there quicker than I did.
1: We've mentioned this before in other episodes is that I think the, the whole point of getting instruction is to quicken the gap of learning, meaning like take time off of, of how long it's going to take you to become a better golfer. I think the goal of swing instruction is to make that process more efficient. And I don't want to talk for all swing instructors, but I, I know enough of them where I think they feel that burden where if someone's paying them. There's expectations, of course. And I think one of the expectations is similar to this golfer you talked about is that they want that information because if you don't give it to them, it's like, well, what am I paying you for? If you spent an hour looking at me, hit a bunch of balls and told me to swipe the grass over there, what the heck is that? I want 10 different things to be working on this week. And you and I both know that that is a dangerous concept because... Perhaps you can do that on the range in a consequence-free environment, but then when you go on the golf course with the context of pressure, having to make your shot in a timely matter, worrying about your score, all these different things, you know, not embarrassing yourself in front of your playing partners, well, all of a sudden, those five or 10 different thoughts take up a lot more space in your brain, and then at that last moment when you actually have to execute – you just can't do it because your mind's not thinking simply enough. You're not reacting in the moment. Your, your brain is scrambled with all this information. So that's where I see it at odds with one another is that golfers want the information. They've been trained to ask for it. And I think a lot of teaching professionals feel the pressure to give it to them. You almost have to be very confident in your abilities as an instructor to be like, no, I'm not going to give you that stuff because I think it's going to bring you down a bad path.
0: Yeah, I still feel that pressure a, a little bit. I've become better at it over years. And the brain scrambling is certainly something. I mean, we know that from motor learning science, the more you overload someone's brain, you get to that point of cognitive overload where you just see a complete collapse in coordination. And so even if someone could do something on the range, when they go out on the course and their thoughts are different, they, they can't transfer it. So there's there's so many approaches with that. But To your point, there's this battle with me of, okay, I asked that player, just brush the grass a little further forwards. He's doing it. He's hitting it better. But then my next thought in the process is, is that going to help this player long term? And so my thought there is, how can I train golfers to think like I do as an instructor? What's the simplest way to get them to think like I do? So most of my lessons are actually training people to... Number one, understand, right? And what I mean by that is understand that golf is basically three things. If you can hit the ground in the right place, if you can hit the center of the face, and if you can control where the face is looking, you can play awesome golf. Those are the three basic principles. That's the Pareto principle, right? 80-20 rule. If you can get those three things, you'll get 80% of of the trouble of, of golf away. So the first thing is to understand. The second thing is then how can I get this player to identify, right? So they come to me and they say, oh, I'm hitting it awful. I say, well, be more, more specific. i like, oh, I'm just hitting it everywhere. But be more specific. Which one of those three is bad? And they'll usually go, well, I don't know. I say, well, well okay then. So that's an identification issue. How can you identify face strike? I'll let you take that one. How do you identify face strike? How do you know where you're striking on the face? I just can feel
1: it. <laughs> I okay, mean that- so
0: you can feel it, yeah. You could also use Dr. Scholl's foot spray if you, if you can't feel it. Yeah. Uh,
1: if you're talking about on the course, I only know where I'm striking it on the course now from using the Dr. Scholl's and, and seeing and feeling it at the same time so that when it happens on the course, and of course, I'm not using Dr. Scholl's while I play golf – I know, oh, that was a heal. Or we talked about gear effect in the, uh, in another episode. And all of a sudden I hit a, a drive that went from left to right. But I have a draw pattern. Well, I healed that because I know this now.
0: Gear effect is a more complex thing. I certainly wouldn't start with players with that, but I eventually want players to understand that in a way so that you know, if they hit it out of the heel and it flares out to the right, they don't go changing the wrong thing. So yeah, that, I do go into more advanced concepts like that. But in terms of identifying, identifying face strike can be a feel thing. You can feel a twisting, or it could be a visual thing. You could see the Dr. Charles foot spray. Same with how, how would you identify ground contact? If you're fattening or thinning it, what do you do? How do you know if you fat or thin it?
1: Typically, I can feel it. I mean, I I know when I'm striking it behind the ball significantly. There's a difference between brushing the ground and like striking it. Yeah, I mean, I could feel like if you're on a mat, let's say I was going to chunk it on the course, like you could feel that vibration, that violent impact with the ground behind the ball.
0: Exactly. So yeah, I mean, you could use the divot board as well. You can use the sound. If it sounds muffled, then it's probably a a fat shot. If you hear thud click, thud click, thud click, if there's a difference between it.
1: As you mentioned on another episode, if you're hitting it fat, you're likely striking it higher on the face. So I could could feel that horrible feeling of hitting it high on the iron face.
0: Exactly. So it's training players how to use these forms of feedback, whether it's auditory, the sound of it, whether it's the feel, or whether it's something more visual like the, the divot board. Or, you know, I, I train players, spray a little line on the ground, place the ball on top and hit the shot so you can see where your divot is. Then you're on about the precision of feedback. It's not about that was fat, that was thin. You're talking about, okay, that was one and a half inches fat. That's much more specific. And so that helps the player in the next stage. So as I said, the first thing is to identify what creates a good shot. Ground strike, face, strike, face direction. Second stage is for them to build that identification with them. So to get that player to, to identify it themselves. And then the third phase is then to understand how to change those three variables. Once I can take a player and build them in those three phases they can coach themselves. And I become obsolete as a coach. And I love that. (laughs) I love becoming obsolete.
1: I think the whole point of good instruction, good coaching, what we're doing on this podcast in different ways is that you've got to have this toolbox as a golfer to know, first understand, like you said, what creates a good shot understand what your tendencies are as a golfer. So for me, we've spoken about my tendencies. I'm a heel striker. My path can be very in to out. And based on where my face is pointing at impact, I need to know where that matchup is on a daily basis and adjust on the course. And that's taken me a long time to figure that out. I've done it probably a lot more with some self-experimentation than most. But that's really what it is, is like you're helping someone build that toolkit so that when they're on the course, as you said, they can almost coach themselves if they know what their fault is and they can see what that fault is with the feedback whether it's like the sound they hear from the ground what the ball is doing in the air how they feel the impact of the ball in the club face that's what golf is we keep coming back to this point is it's a series of small adjustments that you have to make on the fly whether you're practicing or playing to get that white ball a little bit closer to where you're you're hoping it ends up. It's just creating that function and it doesn't have to be perfect, obviously, but you got to help a golfer build that toolkit. And I think, you know, you don't make yourself obsolete as a coach. I think if you've worked with someone intensely, perhaps if it's more intense in the beginning where you're figuring all this stuff out, then maybe you can see them once every month or two for kind of like refinements because things do get out of whack. I always think there's there's something that could be done to help people because, You know, you told that one guy brush the grass, that might not work for him two months later. It might be something else that you need to change with him. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Lynxwear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024. And it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance, with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a 2-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot. An antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux Gs come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting TrueLinkswear.com and using promo code Sweet Spot. Once again, that's TrueLinkswear.com and use promo code Sweet Spot. That's one word to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Exactly. So, okay, that worked in that lesson. For me, then it's taking him through those stages of of helping him understand, well, why did that work? And so for him, it's like, well, the ground contact was poor. That's the number one thing we want to do. We want to change. And face contact was poor. So then, you know, building his ability to identify that because he couldn't. His answer was, well, I'm just hitting it bad. I'm hitting it left. And it's like, well, why are you hitting it left? And he can't tell me. He couldn't tell me like what's happening at impact that's causing that. Or I'm, I'm hitting the ground early. And then building his toolbox. So in that case, it was a really simple intention-based tool. So telling him, can you feel like you hit the ground further forwards is literally just tapping into billions of years of instinct that's evolved. And I love intention-based tools as you know, and I think that's probably the most important tool that a player can develop is how to use their intention to manipulate impact variables. So another example of that I was thinking of recently, I had a guy called Howard. He came to me and he's like, I want to quit. I heard you can fix people with shanks. He said, but I'm on the verge of quitting. So this is my last shot. I said, "Okay, can you hit a few shots for me? He hit 10 shots. Nine of them were shanks. And I said, okay, stop, stop. I don't wanna put you through any more pain, I can see it. I said, so what are you trying here to fix this? And he said, well, I've been to five different instructors and you know, one instructor told me I need to get my hands a little deeper. Another instructor told me I need to turn my hips a little faster. Another instructor told me I need to flex my lead wrist. I'm like, I'm there thinking, well, none of that really relates to this shank i i I, yes i can understand why they gave him that stuff because he's a little over the top and this and that but none of this is relating to the actual shank so i said right entertain me for a few minutes here i said i know this is going to be really weird for you it's going to be really simple you're going to think i'm crazy but just entertain me i want you to try and hit the toe side of the club with a putting swing for me. So just make a small, you know, even if you have to go back five inches and through five inches. And he did it. He could do it nine times out of 10. I said, all right, let's progress up to a little chipping swing. Chip it out there 10 yards, hitting the toe of the club for me. And he could do it. And then we worked our way up to pitching swing, then half swing, then full swing. By the end of the hour, he hadn't shanked a single shot. And although he didn't hit the toe every time, he didn't hit the heel either. <laughs> so he, in fact, most of them were right out the center. And I said, that is an example of how to use your intention to change your result. And he said, well, isn't that the wrong way of doing it? And I showed him a video of his swing. I said, look at the swing before where you're shanking it. Look at it after. And he said, I can't see any difference. I'm like, yeah, neither can I really. It's because changing it from a shank to a centered shot is literally like half an inch an inch at most you're not going to see it on camera so i didn't negatively change your swing okay it didn't positively change you still got the over the top move but hey you're going over a top move and you're not shanking it anymore you're hitting a power fade out there that's pretty good we can we can work on the power fade if you want to later and so the rest of the lesson was basically me convincing this player that this wasn't the wrong way of doing it. And he came back next week and he was flushing every shot. And he's like, I love this. I'm not even thinking of my swing anymore. I'm just hitting out of the center. And I said, Yeah, that, that's, that's good. I like that. I mean, I could go off in different directions with that. What, what's your thought of that?
1: Again, there's always exceptions to the rule. I, I can never say something that's an absolute for all golfers, but I'm pretty confident that most when you think about the average recreational golfer i don't think they're going to have success in their golf game if they are thinking about you define them as like internal swing thoughts you know there's that image floating around for years of that guy who wrote notes on the golf swing there's like a thousand different words around to like what he's thinking about his swing like i just To my core, do not believe that anyone can play golf well when they step up to a shot and they think about, okay, this is what I'm doing on my takeaway. This is what I'm doing, you know, halfway into the upswing, and here's my transition, and here's my downswing, and all these things. Like, you just can't do it. Because in other sports, and golf, I believe, is a sport, you know, when you play well, tennis, basketball, like, they're different because you're reacting in the moment. And because of that, you don't have all this time to think about the mechanics of it. Like I played a lot of basketball as a kid. You know, when someone passes you the ball and you're open, you got to shoot. I'm not sitting there thinking about like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, put my arm at this angle. No, you just do it because if you don't, someone's going to come over and block the shot. And I think that is one of the main reasons why golf can be so challenging is that we have all this time before the shot. And on top of that, because it's a very technical game, you know, you've got all these different voices coming at you on YouTube, Instagram and the magazines like feeding you all this information. So I think the odds are kind of stacked against a lot of golfers where they assume that better golf is going to be going through complexity. And I just I don't believe that's true.
0: With complexity, is certainly on the internal stuff. I know there's a lot of research on more external thoughts outside your body. I don't fully agree with that, actually. In, not, not with your point. I don't fully agree that we should always be external in our thought process because there are some guys like Bryson.
1: I was going to bring up Bryson. He's spending his whole life trying to conquer this and like deep, deep, like this guy's committed like few other golfers I've seen. It's his job. But the context we're speaking in is, is the recreational player who only has a few hours a week to devote to the even thinking about golf and improving. Exactly.
0: Yeah. But I I think there's a difference there between internal and external thought processes and cognitive overload. I think certainly if you've got 10 different thought processes going on, it doesn't matter whether it's internal or external, it's probably going to be too much. And there are examples where I might give someone an internal swing focus, you know, with Howard, the Shanker, instead of telling him to try and strike off the toe, I could talk about, well, feel like your hand path comes closer to your legs through impact or something like that. Or I could even say, open up your body a little bit bit more. And there are certain times where I might do that. I always try to opt for more feel-based, intention-based, simpler thought processes generally, as a general rule. But sometimes I will give someone an internal thought process.
1: Well, let me clarify my point. I'm not against internal thoughts. I'm against, I guess, multiple ones. Just to clarify, like I have Feels in my swing, like certain times where I'm like I was actually out on the course finally this morning for the first time, or I went yesterday too since winter, and like just you know watching the ball what it's doing through the air, and I had a few feels where I'm like, all right, that one hooked a bit, I'm gonna try and slice this one, so like yeah, I'm thinking about what I need to do in my body to quote unquote slice it, but I'm not really slicing it, I'm neutralizing my path so i do play with internal thoughts as well but i try and keep it to like one or two at most (laughs) and that's hard to do you can't control your brain completely like that's that's a whole separate topic where you just that's the struggle of golf is like your instinct is to think about all these things and you have to resist that urge i guess as hard as it is to do
0: if i'm hitting out of the toe one day i have options available to me i could try and hit it out of the heel a little bit more and that that balances it Or I could think of something more mechanical. I could think of squatting a little bit more in my transition because that gets me closer to the ball and effectively that will move the heel closer to the ball. Or I could think of my hand path being a little bit farther from my legs through impact. I could choose any of those. Now, I know because I've tested all those thoughts that the intention-based one just trying to hit the opposite side of the club is much more precise for me in terms of it can change it millimeter by millimeter. Whereas something more technical, like thinking of my hand path, tends to have a bigger change in the pattern. So usually if I want a refinement of my skill, I will opt for the intention-based rule. Whereas if I'm having a really bad day with toe strike, I might opt for the internal-based rule. So that goes into... Building your toolbox as a player, it's about understanding okay, how would I fix a toe shot or a heel shot if it ever came up on the course? What options can I build? What tools can I add to my armory to fix that before I even need them necessarily? If I'm hitting it left one day, I've got three, four, ten ways of fixing that left shot. I have much simpler ways, I have much more complex ways. I actually have those ordered in how I would implement them as well. And so that's where my coaching has gone. That's a kind of higher level coaching thing. But number one, get players to know what creates the result. Number two, get players to be aware of what they're doing. And then number three is slowly layer on different tools so they can change those variables.
1: If we're talking about what you can do to make golf simpler overall is that, and I know a lot of golfers are stuck on this like endless hamster wheel where they're like trying one thing from one week to the next and it's not working. Like, oh, onto this YouTube video with this new thought from this different instructor. And Like, oh, that worked for a week and now it's not working. And it's just like this, it just never ends. And I think that's what leads to a lot of people being unhappy in this game is that they're just trying different people's explanation of the golf swing and they're not figuring out, like you said, first of all, what does create a functional golf shot learning that?
0: Well, I was going to say, you know what always works? Always 100% works hitting the ground in the right place and controlling where that face looks. That's what always works. So start there and build tools around that. If you're trying random things on YouTube that don't relate to those things, you're probably going to end up spinning your wheels like most golfers do.
1: A lot of the inspiration I got for practical golf was really from my dad. My dad, we had this kind of bizarre thing in my family where I was the one who took up golf as a kid. My dad never played. And he decided to take it up in his 60s. So I kind of, in reverse, taught him how to play. You know, he got instruction, but my dad's like a super, like the guy you were talking about in your lesson, like wants to understand everything down to like the last technical level. And as I saw him get into the game, it reminded me a lot of, you know, what happened to me when I first took up the game is like, you know, he's at the range with other guys and they're talking about what YouTube videos they saw this week or what tip they got from. And he's like, oh, yeah, try this. Hold the club this way. And then he calls me up. He's like, I think I figured it out. I'm hitting it. Great, John. I figured it out. and I was like, I didn't want to burst this bubble. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, see what happens in a week or so. And lo and behold, you know, he would go out on the golf course, the ball would be going literally everywhere. And then he's back to the square one, which is what can I experiment with next? And he would literally listen to anyone who would come to him with information. It was an open book. He'd spend four hours on the range working on the next thing and then rinse and repeat. And, you know, like I said, so many golfers are stuck on this endless cycle. It's like, how do you break that? It's very hard to do because... It's just it's still not what the industry wants because it's it seems too simple. It's not a product necessarily. I know you've got some products. You're one of the few people who promote stuff like this, but I just think it's that the odds are stacked against golfers in that aspect. And I guess we're trying to get people more into our camp a little bit, which is that the simpler uh, thoughts usually lead to better results, but they got to be the right ones.
0: Yeah, they got to be the right ones. A good point. I mean, you can't just think something simple that doesn't relate to you at all. But Here's the thing that about human nature, and this has been studied. When you give them a difficult task or something that is more random in nature. So say you put pigeons in a Skinner box. I don't know if you know that experiment. And you make the reward random. The pigeon gets more superstitious. It starts doing weird things, weird behaviors in order to try and get that reward. And golfers are the same. When a golfer is on a range mat and they're hitting balls, they're basically a pigeon locked in a Skinner box. They're hitting shots and occasionally they get a nice reward. Oh, that was a nice shot. That felt good. But they haven't got a clue what caused it. So then they backward reflect and they say, what did I do on that one? And they might pick something completely random that doesn't relate. They say, oh, well, I felt like I I did this with my hands more. All right, let's try that again. And it doesn't work. And then it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden they hit another one and it's flush. And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe that is it, which is what your father is like, right? They basically, when a task is difficult and the rewards are random, the animal or human will become more superstitious and produce weird
1: behaviors, That you just like summarized golf in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. And so my goal as an
0: instructor is to get rid of that lack of understanding of what creates the result. I don't want that golfer going, oh, why was that different? I don't want them going into random things like, oh, maybe I put a T in my back pocket on that one. Maybe that's what it was. No, I want them to say that was different. Because I struck the ground a little closer to the ball, or that was different because I hit closer to the sweet spot on that one. The moment they're making the connections between what happened and what happened at impact, so what the result did and what happened at impact, that player is now going to make better connections later on. They're going to learn quicker but when it's like i said when that golfer first steps on that tee and they don't have this information they are a pigeon in a skinner box and the worst thing is they'll have their buddies telling them oh you 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 hit a bad one on that cuz you lifted your head or you you didn't swing down smooth and slow and and so that then fuels the skinner box pigeon analogy
1: listen this is why i try and view my role or one of my roles with what i'm doing on my site is to help people's manage their expectations more effectively and to just understand that like even if you do have this stuff figured out or at least have a good understanding of it you still have to be okay with the randomness of the results in the game you know we talked about when i was doing my driver experiment and how i was happy with like a 55 yard dispersion like that's a massive dispersion when you think about it but that's really good that's just understanding that no matter how well i hit my driver. I'm still going to have this massive left to right window of results and be okay with that. And not to say that I have golf figured out, I would never think that, but at least I'm having a better understanding of what are reasonable results for my skill level. And that's like the crux of the issue with a lot of these things. Do you want to talk about the experiment that you and I did uh, where you totally changed my swing? I think it was a good example of giving me a simple cue and it changed how my swing looked a decent amount
0: you're always incredibly into out, little close face at the top, and you play really good golf with that. I mean, considering the time that you practice, the time you put, or the lack of time that you put into the game, you're a really good player. And I said, let's just uh, just for fun, entertain me, let's just make a couple of swings. All I want you to do is weaken the heck out of the grip and just feel like you hammer a nail to the left. And you sent me a few videos and it looked textbook, right? I mean, there's a whole other conversation on whether that textbook look actually led or leads to better performance, but that was an example of how in two swings we could completely change how your swing looks with just a simple thought.
1: I I thought it brought up two important points, and just to like reiterate, like I have a very strong grip, the way I grip the club, into out swing path, very inside takeaway, my face is shut at the top. So I need to manage all of these things and somehow get the face a little more open at impact or else I'm hitting pull hooks. Every time I send my swing to you, your response is the same. You're right. You broke my phone. I don't have, (laughs) I wouldn't say, (laughs) I I wouldn't say I have a furic looking swing, but like if I had a spirit animal as a professional golfer, I'm more like Bubba Watson, like those guys where I'm kind of like doing some Unorthodox things to make the golf ball do what I want it to do. I don't look. I don't look like Adam Scott.
0: It has its quirks, but again, it's functional. And if you were, yes, you know, I did that experiment with you purely. Just to see if we could make it look more textbook, just because I yes, because I know you. And we can really do, did, yeah, and I, I know you can do that without then saying, "Oh, this is what I need to do." I know that you see that as a more of a thought experiment in a way, but certainly if if you're on my lesson you, I wouldn't do that with you because because you're functional with what you do, and we could tweak your function further without having to te- make that textbook looking swing.
1: Yeah, but it was interesting, like just by weakening my grip and feeling like I was swinging 30 degrees to the left, it made my swing look like more quote unquote on plane, correct? If I'm saying that, it just looked like a little, the pattern looked a little nicer. Whereas if you showed the before and after to a bunch of swing instructors, they'd probably be like, oh yeah, that after swing looks way better. By the way, don't do
0: that because it doesn't matter how good the change is there'll always be a thousand people there to pick apart. Oh, well, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. Exactly. So don't, don't do it. Don't post your swing on video.
1: That's why I told you, like, don't put my swing out there because I don't want a million voices in my head. But it was interesting in the sense that you gave me a very simple cue and it changed my ball flight. I, I I was hitting like a baby fade on the sky track. it showed. It changed my spin rate, the loft, how I was delivering the loft. It changed a lot of things. And it was simple of just changing my grip technique and – me having that cue of hammering the nail 30 degrees to the left. Now, would I play golf like that? No, I'm confident in my pattern and I'm working on that. But it was just an interesting thing that let's say I was a player who was struggling and those matchups weren't working for me. And then you were like, okay, I I believe we can help this guy by changing his grip technique and having a, a simple cue to alter his patterns.
0: Yeah, or if you, if you came to me and you said, okay, Adam, I'm looking to be on tour, but I can't hit it high enough and I don't have high enough spin rates to hold the greens, then I would have to say, okay, we need to tweak this model a little bit because the one that you're using at the moment is a very low spin model. Right, It's fine for amateur golf. You can blast it out there miles and you've got to wedge it. You've got to wedge into the green so you don't have to worry about spin. But if you wanted to play on tour with those greens at those distances, we might have to change the model a little bit.
1: Yeah. For 30 minutes, I had a swing that looked not completely different, but the pattern looked very different than what I'm used to. And I thought it was just an interesting experiment and we're talking about simplicity versus complexity versus you telling me like, oh, hey, John, I want you to get your hands up here at the top of the swing and feel like you're getting it a little more open here and do that. I would have been hitting it all over the map.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what changed in your swing was your, your hands were higher. The club face was more open at the top. Yep. The club face was less across the line at the top. You actually started down a little differently with your sequence. The shaft plane was completely different coming down. The left arm plane was. C- different coming down. You got more open at impact with your body. Your exit plane was different on the way through.
1: I have to say, when I kept looking at it, I'm like, wow, this looks like a lot prettier golf swing. But then I texted you, I'm like, if I took this out on the course, it would be a disaster because I wouldn't trust it
0: yeah yeah I mean that's that's a different topic definitely and it's a good one it's a good one that we should go through but the the point there is we made what 10 10 swing changes I just talked about
1: yeah we made a major change in a short period of time with a simple cue yeah
0: just saying okay weaken the grip hammer the nail left so again that goes into what I'm looking at as a pro like if you posted your swing on my Facebook group you'd have a hundred comments minimum of saying you need to change this in your takeaway you need to change that at the top you need and the reality is, yes, they might be all right. They might all be correct. But if you try to think of all those 10 things, you're just going to have this brain frazzle. Whereas the the cue that I give you, the couple of cues that I gave you changed all of those things very, very quickly.
1: Yeah. I always think one. I've repeated this phrase probably over and over again, is that I believe that you could take a golfer's swing and show it to 10 different instructors and they Rightly so, would have a different interpretation of what needed to be quote unquote fixed in their pattern. And technically speaking, all 10 of them could be right in their assessment of of what was holding that golfer back. But the golfer couldn't listen to all 10 of those people at once. They've got to pick one voice and stick with it and have that continuity. And again, that's a whole other topic in the golf swing. But when we talk about simplicity, it's like, You know, golfers switching on YouTube and Instagram, listening to all these different voices like I think that's hopefully one of the main things I want people to get out of this is not necessarily just the simplicity of like saying like, hey, brush the grass here, but also the simplicity in your approach to the game where you're not on this endless pursuit to devour more information about the golf swing. I just don't think that like people assume the more I know the better I'm going to be and I just don't think that's the case.
0: No, it's not the case. I mean, some of my content doesn't even fit with this. I mean, if if you got the strike plan, you'd say, oh, that's that's simpler than what I'm used to. I like it. Then you go into next level golf and you're like, oh wow, Adam's got some deep information here. But if you actually watched one of my vid- my lessons live. It's so damn simple. But like I said, my goal as an instructor is to take all those 10 different opinions, 10 different things that people are thinking and just combine it into as few thoughts as possible. If if possible, just one simple intention. And then to also educate the player on how to self-coach a little better. Like I said, how to identify what they need to change or impact and then build a few tools to be able
1: to change it. You know, we've talked about a lot here simplicity versus complexity what's kind of like your main hope that people learned from this episode i know i know we covered a lot but we're, we're kind of reaching the end here
0: simple is not necessarily wrong or i should say the opposite of that complexity is not necessarily better well, i'll leave it with that sentence
1: i've been down the rabbit hole i don't approach my golf swing from a complex and you could you could see that in the way i I don't want to post my swing up for all the listeners because I don't want all those voices. <laughs> you could probably see that in my golf swing that I'm not really thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just really reacting to the result and making small adjustments. So I, I've been playing my best golf in my life, not thinking about complex stuff. I used to. I, I think that was my instinct as a junior golfer and as a, a guy in his early 20s. I wanted to know as much as I could and it just didn't. Like you said, I assumed that complexity was the answer. So, you know, my goal for all golfers is similar to yours. I want to get people away from that constant desire to figure everything out to just being okay with more basic understandings of why the golf ball does what it does and how you can make adjustments to get back into functional territory. So, yeah, I want people to get more simple as well.
0: We all go down that rabbit hole at some point. Well, most of us go down the rabbit hole and then we have guys like you who come back out of the rabbit hole and then we have guys like me who just continue digging until they reach Australia. (laughs) I've come through the other side of the the earth. You know, not everybody wants to do as much digging as me. I'm an instructor, that is for me. But yeah, I am with you. Let's get people a little bit simpler. In general, I, I would say I try to give the simplest form of information that gives rise to a better result with more consistency if that doesn't work then you can always layer on a little bit more complexity if necessary but i try not to go the complex route first
1: you got a couple of new things why don't you plug your new your new endeavors for our listeners what do you got i've just released an eight week course
0: so i'm going to be giving live presentations i'll be commenting on people's comments. So if people have questions about that, I'll be giving live feedback. And there's even an option for live swing feedback where people can give me their videos and I can say, you know, try this drill. It might be something simple, something intention-based, might be uh, something a little bit more complex, might be something incredibly complex. I'm joking. But yeah, it's it's an eight-week course where you can get live interaction with me. And it's basically like having a having a series of lessons with me, but from comfort of your own home.
1: And where can people find that?
0: I'll put it on my website. So if you go to my website in the menu, I'll put eight-week course, or it'll be in the work with me section.
1: Okay. As always, this is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can check out my site, practical-golf.com. Would love for you to join the newsletter. I'm always adding new deals to our deals section. I'm, I'm always working with the golf companies that I like and support products that I use myself and trying to get our readers some special offers. So you can check that out and feel free to reach out on Twitter at practical golf and tell us what you think. And we appreciate everyone listening and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks guys.